I'm not making this up. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? This is the Bourne Retrospective Series by Now Playing. Jason Bourne, welcome to the program. Hosted by Jacob. We are all trained to kill, but he was the best. Stuart. He's seen things. He knows things. And Arnie. They don't make mistakes. They don't do random. There's always an objective, always a target. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. You don't let me know this? You never wanted to before. Listener discretion is advised. This is not a drill, soldier. We're clear on that. This is a live project. You're a go. We'll see you on the other side. Today we're talking about Jason Bourne, as we have five previous shows now, starring Matt Damon, Tommy Lee Jones, Alicia Vikander, Vincent Cassell, Julia Stiles, Riz Ahmed, directed by Paul Greengrass. This is Arnie, your Bourne co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in LA. And this is Now Playing's asset, Jacob. You had to struggle for a line in this one, didn't you? (laughs) There ain't no dialogue in this film. (laughs) Matt Damon has about 25 lines is what I read, and that is it. And not only that, I didn't feel like there was much talk before this movie came out. I didn't even know what I was walking into when I walked into the theater two days ago for opening night. They really kept everything a well-kept secret. Yeah, I saw one trailer that really didn't do much for me. I mean, oh, Tommy Lee Jones is in this. That could be good or bad. And yeah, the only like billboard or poster I saw, it's Bourne sticking a gun out. Like, what is this about? Yeah, but I love the billboard. I posted the picture to our Facebook page of it's Ice Age next to Jason Bourne and Bourne was shooting Scrat. <laughs> but, you know, with all the theatrical release movies we have done since Captain America, I've seen that trailer a good dozen times. So I felt excited that Bourne was back. Greengrass was back. I mean, again, as I said at the end of our last show, we have gone with this theatrical series four for four with all of us recommending, and that gave me a good vibe. I wanted to go back. I went back at the seven o'clock premiere on Thursday night to a full theater. I wasn't the only one excited Bourne was back. Yeah, I saw this Friday night, and uh, it was probably a third full. I I did notice... This demographic skewed much older than, you know, previous Ghostbusters or something like that. This was uh, a lot of silver hair in the crowd. I ended up going to the D-Box theater again. I swore I'd never do it when I paid $25 to not see X-Men in 3D, but it was just sort of a timing thing. You know, sometimes you 
pick the theater because that's the one you want to see it at. And sometimes it's like, I'm at this side of town at this time and I have <laughs> to see this movie now. And so, yeah, I just shelled out $25 again so that my nice recliner would rattle during an action movie. <laughs> I mean, in fact, and we'll talk about it in this movie, there's a portion where it didn't seem to move at all. I'm like, did it break or is just nothing happening? <laughs> and this was not in 3D, you know? It's almost refreshing sometimes when we don't have to make the 3d or not 3d choice and try to time going to a specific showing of the movie greengrass just went two-dimensional with this and i think like you said jacob my audience also skewed older and i wonder if that's the audience that doesn't succumb to the gimmick well older in the sense that the people that remembered the movie what it's been nine years right i mean they're getting the gang back together for you know the 2007 ultimatum experience i mean that was the biggest film of the franchise and people just seem to not accept the renner world the cross side view i i think that's been excised here i think that what i read was not only did they not want to tie into it but greengrass and damon don't like that they don't like tony gilroy the creator of that so they intentionally have diverged from the timeline that movie doesn't exist. They did include references to Blackbriar and Larks. Yeah, I did notice that. But Blackbriar existed in the third one, right? Yeah, but Larks was born legacy only, and we'll talk about it, but when Julia Stiles is hacking the system, there's a Larks folder, so... I was thinking, is Renner going to actually show up in this? I was kind of hoping for that. I could use someone that would talk. <laughs> Renner is not really known for being loquacious, but there had been rumors that he would show up, but I kind of had a feeling that if Damon was back, if Greengrass was back, they didn't want to reference the one they didn't make. They're on record as not liking it. And and in fact, they were on record of not liking Tony Gilroy's Born Ultimatum script. He was let go from that project. So it's a break. I mean, I feel like they are doing something different. And we could have had it. This weekend, we could have seen Justin Lin direct Jeremy Renner in a sequel to Legacy. But because these two said, we want to do it instead, Universal obviously was more happy to give it to these guys and so we get what we get. Well, this was more Damon's baby than Greengrass. Greengrass and Damon said they talked about it, you know, every year or every other year. You know, is there a story? Is there a reason to go back? And Damon said they wanted to wait for the world to change. He described the original trilogy as being very much about the Bush administration. And they wanted to wait for a story to tell. But it was a couple years ago... Damon gave Greengrass the hard sell and said, this is the time, people love this character, and he wanted to come back. I don't know if he needed a big payday or felt like he needed a new <laughs> boat, but he's the one who did this. Well, I don't feel like they came up with a big story. I will say that. If, if this is supposed to feel like a different world entirely than what we've got in the previous movies, they most certainly didn't do that. No, this is a return to the Jason Bourne world. Like, literally, I think they just cut and pasted <laughs> pieces of other scripts that they've done into this one. Yeah, it's a greatest hits album for sure. And its concerns are entirely the concerns of the last couple movies. Again, may not be a problem if what you want is a nostalgia, a throwback to nine years ago. If you want that, though, 
I do have to object to the title, Jason Bourne. I understand why they did it. Hey, guess what? The one you like is back. The one who made (laughs) us all the money is back. We're going to put the title right there and say this is him. But Robert Ludlum had said in an interview that his publisher freaked out when he tried to publish a novel that wasn't the something something, the adjective noun and he had to appease the publisher by renaming one of his books and so here i feel like they're already it's not like they've been exactly beholden to ludlum's legacy with the plots i was waiting for the gay mafiosos stewart brought up in the book nacho (laughs) review No, no connection to Ludlum's series at all in this one. That's wise. And again, I haven't read the 10 newer novels from a different creator. I heard they were going to take one of those titles. Born Betrayal was a working title for this movie, but The Born Betrayal, I'm sorry. Yes, so it would have been three words. But I think the real point, I think the only selling point of this movie is, hey, everybody, don't worry. We got Matt Damon. And trust us, we're going to do what we did before Jeremy Renner screwed it all up. That's a really long title. (laughs) (laughs) We all liked the Renner one is the funniest part. I definitely feel like that movie is underrated, particularly after having seen this one. (laughs) Spoiler alert. But why don't we get into it? Arnie, give them the plot. Should take uh, 20 seconds or less. We can move on. (laughs) Uh, You know, yeah, the actual plot is Bourne wants revenge on the guy who killed his dad. But we have to involve a social media executive and internal strife in the CIA and... Relevance. Yeah, so (laughs) it is going to take longer than 20 seconds. It's been almost 10 years since Matt Damon's character David Webb, also known as Jason Bourne, got his memory back. But what does his ex-CIA assassin do when on the run? He lives a nomadic, restless life, roaming the world, making money by participating in underground fight matches. But that comes to an abrupt end when Bourne is tracked down by Julia Stiles' character, Nikki Parsons. If you recall, Nikki was on the run with Bourne in Bourne Ultimatum, and she's been living the past 10 years underground, trying to expose the CIA Black Ops Division, along with hacker Christian Dassault. Nikki is successful in grabbing the files and discovers a secret about Bourne's past. Yes, another secret about Bourne's past. He had a father. Yeah, and he was part of Treadstone. And that David Webb, or Jason Bourne, was under surveillance for a year before being asked to join the program. And his dad, Richard Webb, didn't want David to become a killer and threatened to expose Treadstone... So, he was killed in front of his son, thus ensuring the young soldier would join to avenge his dad. Nikki brings David that information, or Bourne that information, but she's been tracked. CIA Director Robert Dewey, played by Tommy Lee Jones, is in charge of this newest Black Ops program, Iron Hand. This newest plot isn't to train super soldiers, or kung fu fighters, but to use the global social media program Deep Dream to gather information on 1.5 billion people around the world. So Dewey sets Heather Lee to capture Bourne. Lee is the head of CIA's Cyber Ops Division and the one who planted the virus to track Nikki, and Lee is played by Alicia Vikander. Dewey also calls in an operative known only as The Asset, played by Vincent Cassell. The Asset has a particular vendetta against Bourne as he was captured and tortured for two years after Bourne made the Black Ops programs public. But the Asset also has a personal connection. He just so happened to be the one who killed Bourne's daddy! 
And in Greece, the asset tracks down Nikki and Bourne, and Nikki is killed. This leaves Bourne on his own to find out about his past and expose the CIA plot. He first goes to Berlin, where he meets Dassault and opens the files, which leads him to Malcolm Smith, the Treadstone agent who surveilled Bourne before he was in the program, and the asset kills Smith, but Bourne escapes thanks to aid from Lee. See, Lee knows she's being played by Dewey and left out of the asset's orders, and Dewey has him even killing friendly operatives, so Lee wants to capture Bourne and bring him back alive, whereas Dewey's out to kill him. So Lee gives Bourne information that Dewey will be in Vegas, as will the asset. See, Dewey has another problem. Riz Ahmed plays Aaron Kalur, founder of Deep Dream, and initially Deep Dream was bankrolled by the CIA, and Kalur repaid that by giving the CIA access to private user information. But with this new global platform for Deep Dream, Kalur wants to end this forced partnership, and this leaves Dewey feeling he has no choice but to kill the entrepreneur, which he'll do in public at ExoCon in Vegas, where Kalur is set to launch the next iteration of his social media network. And for good measure, Dewey tells the asset to kill Lee too. Bourne tracks them and, again with aid from Lee, foils the assassination attempt. Bourne then confronts Dewey, leading to a gunfight in which Dewey is killed by Lee. But Bourne takes the gun, putting his prints on it to leave her in the clear. And Bourne still wants revenge on the asset that killed his father. So in a massive Vegas street chase with the asset in a SWAT van and Bourne in a black Dodge Charger, TM, make sure dollar signs are here, many cars are destroyed and eventually the SWAT vehicle crashes into the Riviera. Bourne and the asset end in hand-to-hand combat, Bourne breaking the asset's neck. And with this, Lee is now working with CIA Deputy Director, coercing him for a promotion and promising she can get Kalur on board with Iron Hand as she and the techie speak the same language. She also promises to bring Bourne into the program or kill him. And Bourne overhears this conversation and lets Lee know by leaving a tape of it in her car as he once again disappears and credits roll once again to Moby. I remember everything. But I don't think the audience does. So let's play some clips. Hey, you know what? I'm grateful for that because we had to take, you know, we had Legacy and then we had to take a week off for Star Trek. Comic-Con was in there. I- I'm glad they recapped because, frankly, I didn't remember what happened in 3 except that it was kind of disappointed. You forgot it from two weeks ago? Yes, yes. I'm like, what was the point of 3? Like, what did happen in Ultimatum? What was learned? Yeah, we got to get Albert Finney back. Uh, same scenes, but just to remind people what they want you to start with is the idea that Jason Bourne or rather David Webb finally accepted that he joined the evil operative on his own volition because he was moved to do so and all of the kills that he did was his own choice this movie is going to undo that well I did like these flashbacks it got me back in the mood I did remember all these previous films pretty well I think I'm am the biggest fan of these Bourne movies among us. And there were a couple scenes, though, I didn't remember, like some guy at a bus terminal in crosshairs. I thought that might actually play into this film, but it didn't. I thought, it, you know, it might have been a little bit interesting to bring back some memories that Webb had that we're going to see in flashbacks in this movie, but from a different perspective. But it, it's very short. It's just a way to get us back before we jump right to 
the trailer. I remember seeing yes. the last shot in the trailer being born going into this like fight in the desert and one freaking punch takes the guy out. And I'm like, wow, that's that's badass. That's like some cool hand Luke type shit. Although they've changed it. I want to point out that the way that it looks in the trailer, different shots, different perspectives. I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know why? Because God damn it, Paul Greengrass. Get a tripod. Like, <laughs> he does that zoom thing where I don't even get to really see the punch. Like, I'm just going to say it now. A lot of this action, I think, is really good. I just never get to see it. I'll agree with that. I did like this change, though. In the trailer, it was really showcasing Damon as a badass. In the film, it's almost like a video game over-the-shoulder POV where we focus on who's getting hit and how hard that hit is versus who's doing the hitting. So I understand the plan. And yeah, we're going to talk about some of the shaky cam. Some of these action scenes... I couldn't get specifics out of hell. Sometimes we're supposed to read text messages, but the phone's like yes. jumping all <laughs> over the screen. It's like, I cannot focus. Well, here's the thing. If we were told that this is a new era and it's time to do new things and, and Bourne is going to deal with new problems, why not make it in a different way? Why go back to this thing? Why, why try to redo what you've already done before? You don't listen to Guns N' Roses if you want to hear Mozart. This is Greengrass. This is his style. Yeah, I think this is all he does is he wants to make it feel like a documentary. And I don't know, you know, this is the first Bourne movie I've seen on the big screen since the original. So I, I don't know if it just gets exaggerated on the big screen. It just, like, I noticed it when I watched it on my TV. But man, even on the big screen, it seems even more annoying to me. Well, the other thing that I've noticed in nine years is that we have completely moved beyond film. All the other Bourne movies were shot with film cameras, and here this is clearly being done on, you know, high def, I still call it video, but digital. It's a different medium, and I could tell that difference coming back. That may be a result of some of the blurriness. I mean, I am perfectly fine with digital filmmaking. I think it definitely has its benefits. It means much higher quality effects, but it may not have the resolution to handle this much motion. I mean, even in the high bit rate it is, that could be some of the reason we had more problems seeing this mm -hmm. is he was making the film in an old style with new tech and didn't adapt to that. Yeah, I don't know if he's using red cameras for this to catch all the motion. Yeah, and I saw his previous movie, Captain Phillips, and thought that it worked. I mean, I do think that he has a strong visual style, and I usually agree with it. But here, I do feel for much of this movie, it is too much, and it just... It doesn't look quite right. It looks good in the, like the large shots. I love it when we get like a sweeping shot of Rome or Greece or something. But yeah, when it's time to cut it real fast with the visuals we have with pans and such, it is kind of seasick inducing. But this opening, it doesn't last too long. I thought we were going to get a different plot because after the one punch fight, like Damon goes and hides behind a truck and doubles over. And I'm like, oh, my God, does he need Cross's pills? Why is he having these <laughs> issues? I think he's just showing that he's getting older, right? I mean, he definitely looks older. He looks older, man. I, I don't know if they did something to his face here. No, no. Or if this is just how Matt Damon looks now. Look, I saw that Great Wall trailer before this where Matt Damon's gonna fight like dragons or something with the Chinese. But yeah, he didn't look that old in that one. Yeah, we've talked in the previous movies about how Damon actually looked maybe even too young, that he didn't look like he was in his 30s. Clearly time has passed, and I feel like in these nine years, 
Greengrass is, is eager to play up that. He wants Damon to look older. And so we see every crag and he does look haggard. And I think, yeah, exactly so, is that he is living life off the grid and it's catching up with him. And how much longer can he really do this? It is a bad life choice that he thinks that he can just do illegal street fighting for, you know, making his next meal. He could probably do other things and get paid better. Yeah, but I think we'll find out why he's doing it later on. And the one thing I found interesting is despite looking so much older, Greengrass tried to de-age born here. Matt Damon was born in 1970, so he's 45, but when they call up his files, he was born in 78, so he's only supposed to be in his mid to late 30s. But we don't really spend much time there before we hop over to Iceland, and again, this is a globe-hopping movie. I don't really feel like everything might have been filmed on location, other than some establishing shots. Julia Stiles here and this little hacker network in Reykjavik, I don't think is exactly perhaps filmed there there's no reason to yeah i've been to reykjavik and reykjavik isn't a very particularly good looking town but this is just a warehouse i mean the countryside is beautiful but that is not what they're going to exploit here the idea is i think it's at the end of the earth that no one would go here is is where they've set up a hacking camp where all the different races can come and use like old technology like old Atari 8-bits and what have you, and this stuff (laughs) is so old that it can hack into... Modern systems don't know how to deal with it, and thus, if you know what you're doing, you can break into the CIA. Can I just say, really, as a computer person, the line, use SQL to corrupt their databases, which apparently Greengrass found so inspiring that he made it a subtitle from a foreign language. Dude... Do you know what you're saying? I thought that was wrong. Like, even me, a pretty lay person when it comes to computers, I'm like, that's not what SQL, or I guess you're calling it SQL. That's not what it does. No, SQL is a language. If you're going to query a database or modify a database, you're going to use it. (laughs) But if you want to corrupt it, well, that is... Why would you tell somebody to use SQL? It's the only language there is. I mean, are they saying don't use T-SQL? They're not in SQL Server? I don't know. It bugged me. I'm moving on. Yeah, I mean, the point is, is that this is a place where you can go and do terrible things and they won't catch you. And so why not bring Nikki back here? Question, she's not working with Bourne. She hasn't met up with him yet. She's doing this for herself. She has her own grudge against the CIA. She's trying to dig up files for her. It's it's just happenstance that she ends up with Treadstone, Jason Bourne files. I think she's trying to exonerate herself. Yeah, she's she's gone full-on liberal, I guess, trying to leak these. There's going to be another hacker later on. I think it's supposed to be Julian Assange. I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, Christian Dassault. She wants to get this stuff on WikiLeaks, basically. Yeah, but, but my point is, she is not doing this to help Bourne. So how does she know where he is when no one else in the world knows that he's in Greece cage fighting why does she know to go there i don't know do the files lead her there i just (laughs) took it as the files (laughs) if they have files about where he is they should be able to pick him up it was strange to me but it sounds like a plot hole maybe they're pen pals after their life or death stakes in the last one i thought he might hook up with her i mean i felt like at the end when he started swimming and we cut to her smiling somewhere in a black (laughs) wig i thought for sure there was going to be something but no again i don't know if they did something 
something to her face if they want to make her look older. But yeah, Julia Stiles looks very different. Like, you can tell she's been living off the grid in this. Or maybe she's been living off the grid in real life. I don't know. I don't keep up on her. All I know is that she still looks like Julia Stiles because they're able to use facial recognition software to <laughs> track her all the way to Greece, but they can't find Jason Bourne. His face is so damn craggy, he just doesn't <laughs> look like he did nine years ago. But what we're going to see on the other side is after she's hacked the files, it's very dramatic. Like, she has to burn the computer and pull a gun and everything. She throws one hell of an elbow. Yeah. Like, I thought this was going to be Julia Stiles' action hero, because... She has survived the past three movies. I didn't realize we're watching a remake of The Bourne Supremacy where the woman who runs with Bourne in the last one dies in this one. <laughs> I knew it instantly as soon as she got to Greece, but you may not realize in these early scenes, well, we don't even really know what's going on yet. And so what we see on the other side of things is after the CIA gets hacked, we see our villains and potentially our new love interest who doesn't look craggy yet. Love interest? I don't... I didn't see this as any more of a love interest than I did Pam Landy. I figured, here we are again, this is kind of Greengrass's motif, is he's going to have a strong woman in the CIA tracking down born in the public, right? Yeah, Heather Lee, I get a, a cross between Landley and Styles. Like, I'm not quite sure what her motivations are until the end. Then I get it, which was what I kind of suspected. But yeah, at one point, she's just going to turn and start helping Bourne. I'm like, is he Bond? Does he have the magic penis? And like, women just want to help him? Is, is that what this is? But no, they'll clarify it later. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like audiences would be expecting Alicia Vikander to hook up with Matt Damon at some point because she's the it girl. I mean, I saw her a lot last year. She was in Man From U.N.C.L.E. She won the Oscar for Danish Girl, Ex Machina. She had a big year. And so I, I thought of her as someone to watch come into the plot. Yeah, I saw her at Ex Machina. I did not recognize her here because she's not half robot. <laughs> yeah, same here. I didn't recognize her from anything. I thought she might be a new face. There's a lot of people in this movie who have either done a lot of small work or have done no work. So it was kind of, I thought she might just be the fresh face. But I like her character, Heather Lee. She's a techie. She's smart. She's the one in command of the operation, puts the virus on Nikki's thumb drive. So she comes across as very capable right away and ambitious. We've seen this before in Bourne films, too. She's bucking for that promotion from the first bit. She wants in charge of the op. She wants to get Nikki and apparently Bourne, even though at this point they don't know he's involved. They just assume because Nikki had previous association. Yeah, you say there's a lot of fresh young faces here. One face that is not fresh or young <laughs> is head of the CIA, Dewey, played by Tommy Lee Jones. You talk about people looking hard. This guy, they certainly did him no favors in makeup. I wonder if they made him look worse during makeup. He's got some craggly bags under his eyes. I wanted to fill him up with groceries, those bags are so big. I mean... <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Tommy Lee Jones has always kind of had that, that. That has been his character. He has sort of had that kind of craggy face. He looked older even 20 years ago. He's always been fit. I mean, he always had a vitality to him. But his face has always been an older man's face. He looked a lot older than his 70 years. He looked even older than he did in that last Men in Black film where he 
didn't look great. Well, he was older, but... Yeah, <laughs> but here, here's my question. So he's head of the CIA. He knows about all these... Pl- like, has he been around since the first Bourne movie? I always feel like, you know, we either have Brian Cox or, there's, or whoever. There always seems... Ed Norton. There always seems to be some, like, upper CIA person they just haven't mentioned that comes out in the next sequel. Like, is this the latest one? How long has it been since Ultimatum? They don't really make it clear, but Greengrass has said in interviews about 10 years. Oh, okay. I assumed he was the guy that came after that whole thing. I mean, it's mentioned at some point, I think it's either Bourne or Nikki is Googling. There's a lot of time spent on computers in this movie. (laughs) And we get an article pulled up about the CIA. He is the the face of it being in scandal. I presume because Blackbriar did actually leak that what we were told in the last movie, Legacy, got squelched actually did get out. And so that's why I think they're just saying that part four never happened. So he's just got personal vendetta because he's out of the CIA now and born exposed stuff before he was there. I, I don't know. It's it's weird. We're going to get this whole Silicon Valley dude that he seems to have a history with where I don't I feel like Dewey's been around a lot longer than would make sense for this franchise. Well, the way I take it is Dewey's afraid of Bourne. Dewey was one of the people involved, along with Ed Norton and how many other people, Brian Cox, that started this program, and Dewey is the one who brought Bourne in and killed Bourne's dad. So he's not been in the previous films, and he's just been operating behind the scenes, but I think he's long felt that someday Bourne would show up and make him pay for this. Yeah, and I don't, I'm just going to put it right there, that is not a good enough hook. That we find out that the mystery of all this, that what Nikki's files are all about, the deep, deep secret, is that his dad worked for the Treadstone. Again, whose mind is blown at this point? Hey, maybe because I'm comparing this to three, what was that, Ultimatum? I I can't keep their adjectives straight. Because they're named wrong. Yeah, I know. (laughs) One, two, three, that's how you do it, folks. No, it's... The second one was the ultimatum, I know. You want supremacy to be last. Yes. But no, ultimatum, like, I guess that revelation was such a disappointment. I'm like, oh, I'm glad this is more personal. Like, I'm glad, you know, oh, something about his dad. I'm sure it was Tommy Lee Jones's character who killed him. I I guess he put the hit on him. Someone else actually killed him, I think. Yeah. The asset. Yeah, I found it more intriguing, at least. I felt like this was a better mystery than Ultimatum. Wow. Okay. I feel like it's a real mistake to go back to why did Bourne enlist in Treadstone? They told us. He made a choice. And and again, this movie, that's a theme of this movie is that people keep saying, you have a choice. You have a choice. But what they're going to do is take away the idea that he made a choice here. He was manipulated by his father dying in the way that he did into joining. It was an emotional decision made by a terrorist act that was contrived by the CIA. That's dumb. All right, I'll split the difference here because I do think it's becoming soap opera that not only was your father killed supposedly by an international terrorist, he actually also was one of the founding members of Treadstone. It's like, okay, we just can't get away from it. When does... Demuro starts showing up and all of that and Satan possessing Marlena. So that's a bridge too far. But this is the fifth movie in a series. 
it's going to follow a formula. You're running from the CIA while also investigating the CIA and trying to uncover some big secret. I didn't expect this to be that different and that it is personal, that it is about his father. Well, it's better to me than Brian Cox stole $10 million. See, to me, I feel like if it's a new decade with new concerns, Bourne should have made a choice to get involved in a plot that brought him face-to-face -face with the CIA again. I'm not saying they should mess with the formula, but they should take on new problems that we are still mining and joining Treadstone as some place of dark secrets is the wrong impulse. That they're still mining things that we saw in better board films is a problem for me. Like, we're going to get our first action scene here in Greece, and what is it? Oh, go to the square where there's political upheaval. We saw this already, and we're going to be able to take cover while people protest. Like, this is a much more violent protest. You know, we, I think this is supposed to be commenting on the stuff that was going on with Greece and, you know, all their debt. A couple years ago, I want to say... This was about four years ago, but... Yeah, I feel like Greengrass is like, hey, look at all this stuff that's going on around the world, relevant! But it doesn't play any part of this movie. I think Greece is still in a bad situation. It may not be martial law, but... No, oh, we're all focusing on Brexit now. Yeah. <laughs> we can't deal with that kind of protest. There's bigger ones in our own country. But yeah, I think you're right about one thing. Greengrass would much rather be joining these protesters. He'd much be rather making a movie about this... Uh, CEO of Deep Dream. He sees issues and he insists on inserting them into this movie because he's a politically motivated filmmaker. But this story and this plot is not political at all. And I think that that was a mistake. Well, we'll get to the Deep Dream stuff in a minute. But yeah, here in Greece, I really liked this protest scene. It seemed more involved. It seemed Bourne throwing the Molotov cocktail as cover was in the trailer. And it's awesome. I love that. But here's where I couldn't see for the first time is after he throws the Molotov, there's some agents after him. He hops on board a train car and... What happens in that train car? It gets blurry. He walks out and the two guys are knocked out. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, no, here's the thing. This film's two hours and there's a lot of footage about Greece and protest. And yeah, I think Greengrass maybe wants to make a film about that. Well, I get it. But and that's probably the better footage here. And I'll go with the shaky cam when people are throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails at the cops. And, you know, that that stuff is great. It has nothing to do with this film except provide a, a backdrop for what Bourne is doing. But yeah, when we get into him fighting, when we get into this motorcycle chase and the car chasing him, I don't know what's going on. Like, I think it's a good action scene, but I don't know because it's so blurry and so shaky. It totally ruins the scene. When Bourne has flashbacks, they're like these really quick cuts and you just see faces and hear like a scream or something. That's actually how these action scenes are feeling to me. It's like, I think they made this scene before when he's driving up the stairs or whatever on a motorcycle. I'm like, yes. I think that was in Legacy, but it's so blurry. It's like, oh, it's gone. You know, and yeah, it's fragmented in a way that is good. It doesn't make it feel more quick and exciting. It, it makes it feel distancing, distracting. I don't think these action scenes are very good throughout this movie. They might be, we just don't know. I think it has some good ones, but I 
did feel while watching this chase, I'm like, this is a series that had great, G-R-E-A-T, great car chases. And I'm watching this one, and I'm like, this is really lackluster. If this is supposed to be the equivalent of chasing Carl Urban in Russia and all that, it's falling a mile short. Little did I know they're doing this intentionally. You know, they're teasing us with a car chase. This movie's going to end with a spectacular car chase. Well, TBD when we get there. <laughs> but I feel like one of the things with the Bourne movies, too, is they go for this gritty realism and we've talked multiple times about just crashes, like just how painful, like some of those wrecks look. And, you know, we got the asset. The asset is there to put down Bourne. Vincent Cassell from Ocean's 12. That's where I saw him. I'm like, I know that face. Where did I see him? He was the Falcon. He was the Falcon. Okay. So, yeah, the asset's there. He's going to snipe Bourne and Nikki as they're riding a motorcycle trying to get out of there. I kind of like the thing, you know, again, looking at the CIA and they're like, okay, he's going to take a left here because we can see where all the blockades are. Like, that stuff was kind of cool. But when the asset shoots, he hits Nikki in the back. And again, like, it looked pretty violent, but I'm not quite sure. Like, that motorcycle kind of, like, jumps and hits a wall, and it looked kind of painful the way she bounced off. But because nothing's clear, I don't get that visceral reaction. I'm like, damn, like, I did in those other films, which is a bad thing. I want to feel that. I felt it. I was shocked as hell because I didn't think Julia Stiles could die in the series. I really didn't. <laughs> oh, really? We never know why she was in the series. <laughs> I but... definitely felt like she had a buzzard on each shoulder walking into this movie it was obvious that she was not going to make it out of greece like completely painfully obvious i thought she'd be his partner the same way cross had the doctor partner last time vikander they've already set up vikander is going to be the lady in this movie you got to have someone to play moby with <laughs> i do not see vikander in that spot and so when that bullet goes off i realized who was in the hairs and i'm like <gasps> but Man, and then they make her death a little hard. She's lying on the ground gasping for air. I guess she was shot in a lung or something. Oh, boy, I felt so bad for Nikki. I'd strangely become attached to her over the course of three films, and I really thought she was as vital to the series as Damon, but nope, I'm wrong. No, she's a key to a, a locker where he can get the information that she had and, and move on with the plot. But one of the things that happens in this action scene that I noticed is when we get into the control room, at some point, Tommy Lee Jones is like, let's check social media. And I noticed that they're actually using, I guess, I'll just call it Facebook, but all the Greek protesters are contributing. No, I think they say Twitter. Uh, yeah, they're contributing to the eyes of the CIA. They've got the alpha team there and the asset is flying in and he'll be there as well. But basically what they're saying is that they can use social media of every single protester who's in the scene to keep up with where you are. So you can never disappear into a crowd because everyone in the crowd is a camera. And that leads us into this whole subplot about Deep Dream. Yeah, we get introduced to Aaron Kalur, and he's giving some kind of TED talk to people. I love the authenticity because these people are enraptured by his speech. They even have the one guy sitting there in the most douchey of I'm loving every word you're saying poses. <laughs> it's like he's praying with his fingers up his nose. Have you guys seen people do that pose? Yes. Yeah, I hate that pose. And there's a guy in the audience doing that pose. And so I'm like, this is all believable. He's talking about Deep Dream, though. What a terrible name for whatever it is. I thought he was Apple. I thought he was going to be talking about a cell phone OS or something. I didn't get to 
until halfway through the movie, it's basically Facebook. Yeah, I thought it was supposed to be Apple, too, because this is the conversation that's going on with Apple and the FBI and CIA right now. And isn't Deep Dream, isn't that Google's, like, weird thing where you, like, run a picture through it and it turns it all into weird Lovecraftian nightmares? Like, I don't know if you've seen those pictures, but they, they have this computer that basically dreams and spits out these images. I thought that's what Deep Dream was. But what I found funny is he's given this speech and security's a big concern. And, like, he's like, I know you're wondering about security. And all he says to, like, to qualm their fears is, like, we won't give your data out. And people just lose their shit and erupt in applause. I'm like, I want a better plan than that. I want a little more detail. I know. I spent more time looking into my cloud backup system. I'm like, all right, tell me about your encryption methods. Tell me about your server storage solutions. I want some details that tell me. I wanted him to at least drop a line. We have new 512-bit encryption. It's never been seen before, and we are no one in the world could ever crack it in under 20 million years. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to just hear vague promises, but I guess that's what tech companies do all the time, right? Not only that, but this is not, you know, I'm sure those specs are available, but this is just a press conference. You don't do what you guys are doing right now and talk tech. You haven't watched Apple's big reveals then, because they stand there and talk about all of that. They speak to the techie crowd. Yeah. You don't get prayer pose from a non-techie. Well, here's the thing. I would rather hear that TED talk. I would rather <laughs> spend time in this movie. The least interesting character in Jason Bourne is Jason Bourne. This is the movie. This is the movie I want to watch. I want to see what it is it like for a guy that took startup money from the CIA to suddenly feel like he is owed giving up his technology to them and how will he escape. To me, that's an exciting story I want to follow. Jason Bourne and his dad, who cares about that? Well, I do. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm totally into this conversation because I'm very pro like, in real life on the Apple side. I'm like, no, you got to protect my security. That comes, I, I'm very much a, a freedom before security type person. So yeah, to have a Jason Bourne film explore that, great. It doesn't explore that. This is like that stuff going on in Greece. It's just background noise. Jason doesn't even ever hang out with this guy. He will never actually, he shines a spotlight at a convention that saves him from a sniper bullet. But otherwise, there is no relationship between the two. And I thought this was really interesting because I'm with you, Jacob. I'm pro-Snowden, pro-Apple against the whole encryption thing. And I really found it interesting the way that Dewey articulates the counterpoint view. I think that's the best way I've ever seen that draconian surveillance state argument presented in a way that really felt compelling. Like, you know... The world is a dangerous place, and if this could help stop ISIS and things like that, you might convince me to change my worldview on that. But I found Bourne's personal journey compelling. I found this journey compelling. The person who I'm disappointed in is Dewey, because Kalur is basically, I've given you enough, I've repaid my startup funds so many times over, I'm done, and... <laughs> Dewey's response is ludicrous. Okay, we're going to kill him. That gains him nothing. It's not like Kalur was planning on spilling the beans if Dewey hadn't pushed the issue. No, he was planning on spilling the beans. He had all these secretly recorded, off-the-record conversations that he was pulling, but there's a mole. He was coming clean, yeah. And he tells somebody on his staff named Beaumont or something, and Beaumont calls... Tommy Lee Jones and says, this is going to happen. But I feel like that's an insurance policy. I, and Dewey was probably planning on killing him ahead of time. And 
killing him in public? No, I think the sniper is in place. If he opens his mouth, he gets it. If he goes through the Vegas convention and not opens it, he won't get the bullet. That's not how I read it, and it just, the public killing felt a little bit obvious. Yeah, that's the problem, is that Dewey is such a bad guy that the CIA, I guess the CIA has always been awful in these movies, but if you're going to try to have a conversation about freedom versus security, well, there's no fair take here. I mean, I think I know which Greengrass stands, because Gooey is so out of control, like, why would you ever be on the side of security? Well, he's not using the technology to find ISIS. He's using the technology to find a former operative and kill him, and so, yeah, and that's demonstrated here in Greece. But we're ready. I feel like for this point, we want to get to Vegas and get to the plot that we've all been talking about here, but that's not where Bourne's going to go. He's got two more stops before he's going to get into that plot, and who could care about him trying to beat up Julian Assange <laughs> in Berlin? I found it hilarious, yes. Why would that guy think, just because he's got a couple free weights lying around, he thinks he can take this guy? We've seen this guy take massive fighters in Greece. This is not a fighting challenge that should be undertaken or give the audience any level of suspense. Oh, but what a hit. Taking that little hand weight barbell and clocking him with it. I mean... The theory I think that this guy had is one punch, he's down, I'm safe. The fact that he didn't knock Bourne out, well, he's screwed. And what's so weird is if you're, again, I think this is supposed to be WikiLeaks because he wants to put all these files online. The CIA is just able to hack into his computer from the phone line and just erase everything. What is that? Who, first of all, it's 2016. Whose computer is still hooked up to a phone line? <laughs> I honestly <laughs> was reading the scene as we can hack his telephone and send out some EMP pulse or something from the phone, this is as stupid as you sequel to corrupt their databases. Can you please get a computer advisor on the set? <laughs> I think what they're trying to tell us is this guy is using outdated technology to fight back. We saw that also in Iceland, is that he has old things that because the tech has moved beyond it, they're not prepared for dealing with those kind of old attacks, I think. What's so weird is like, like there's a phone line and then they call into that phone line. I'm looking for the landline. Did they use the cell phone to erase the computer? Because that's what gets called. I think that was a landline. It was in a heap on the floor. It looked like it got smashed in the fight. No, he, he the guy pulled it out of his pockets when Bourne told him to empty his pockets. Yeah, it's a cell phone. Because then Bourne t takes it afterwards and has a conversation with Vikander and Tommy Lee Jones. This is all really just ridiculous from a tech standpoint, but you do have to lay a trail of breadcrumbs for Bourne. He doesn't give a shit about Iron Hand. All he cares about is finding out, was he played? What was his dad's role? What was his role? And so that's why we're following this. You're not having a problem with the fact that the movies have been endorsing take responsibility what you, for what you do and is now saying he should feel tricked into it? I mean, what is this movie saying? That 9-11 was fabricated? Was that created by the CIA? No, but that the reaction to it and perhaps some of the countries where we invaded got public support through collusion and deception but that was already demonstrated and we made the choice to go in and do that and that was what those previous movies were about i see this as a betrayal honestly it should have been called the born betrayal because this is a betrayal of what they did in the previous movies to say that oh wow we killed your father we've had a couple flashbacks and he keeps reading more and more files that are reminding him that he had this luncheon in beirut 
and his father was there trying to tell him that he's protecting him. He did a bad thing, which I think means I created Treadstone, but he's trying to make it right. And then we have the asset coming in and blowing him up with a car bomb and making him look like a Lebanese terrorist. Well, yeah, there, there's a telling scene earlier when Nicky finds him somehow in Greece where he's fighting and he's just letting himself get punched. And this is like a penance for him. Every time he gets punched, you know, you get a flashback to someone he murdered as part of Treadstone. And you get the feeling he's just fighting because he, he has this guilt. But now that he knows he was tricked into it, I don't know, you lose that pathos for this character. Yes, it's suddenly... Now this character is even less interesting than he was before. Well, I find it as redemptive. I find it as absolution. I'm with Bourne on this journey. I disagree with you saying it's a betrayal of the saga. It's all about him uncovering something new behind. It, it does twist what happened at the very end of 3, but it doesn't change anything before that. That's the revelation of 3 is you made your own choice, and now it's you were manipulated into that choice, but it doesn't change anything in movies 1, 2, or 3 quarters of 3. What I'm saying is it changes the motivation of the character that he had to come to terms with the fact that he played a role in the bad things. Now it's like, no, you're innocent. You're scot-free. Everything that you did that was bad wasn't your fault. And, and furthermore, Heather Lee, the Cantor's character, she's gone and read psych files on Jason Bourne that, oh, he's such a patriot, you could probably bring him back into the program. It, it's like, I thought this was a story about a guy who broke free of this program and was discovering who he was again. But no, he's still like, deep down, maybe this robot that could be brought back in. Listen, this is a movie about Bourne finding his path. He is a man lost. He may be a patriot, but he's a man without a country. That's been every movie. He's a man without out of purpose. We find him fighting in Greece. Why? What else is he going to do? This movie, he not only uncovers the truth that he was manipulated, he also, I think, finds a purpose in picking up Nikki's cause. And he's not going to just be aimlessly roaming anymore. Well, you could say he picked up her cause. I don't even know what happened with that encrypted USB drive after the computer gets erased. Did that get erased too? No, that's specifically what they were erasing. Right. But because he read some name there, he knows that there's a Malcolm Smith that was part of Treadstone with his father. It means we got to go to London for another worthless scene. Yeah, an another scene where the character is going to go in a crowd and they're going to use that crowd for cover. Like... The CIA should be on to Bourne's techniques by this point. Well, now the CIA has internal strife because Dewey is using the asset to kill Bourne, whereas Lee wants to bring him in. And man, the asset is going to kill friendly operatives and go completely rogue. And Dewey has two different headsets in so that he can set Lee up to fall. Thank goodness he didn't mix up the buttons when he was talking to him. And the asset here is a badass. I mean, I find it too freaking convenient that he happened to also have killed Bourne's dad. That's another DeMero Days of Our Lives type twist. Yeah. But he is tough. I do think he is a credible threat for Bourne. The biggest I've seen since Carl Urban, which is, again, they're remaking part two. <laughs> and we haven't seen this guy before. Like, we, There's so many French assets or European assets. I'm like, is this a guy from one, two, or three? But he's new here, right? Yeah, no, he has not been in any of the previous Bourne movies before. It's The association is strictly that when Treadstone was being created, he was the man that made sure that Jason's dad 
was killed. He's the one who did the wet work that made Treadstone happen. It is also mentioned in the beginning that he has a personal beef with Jason Bourne. He wants to kill him so bad because he was on assignment in Syria when Blackbriar got leaked and thus he got exposed. He was obviously whipped. He has a shirtless scene where you see his back is all full of scars. So he feels like Bourne owes him for the beating that he took for being exposed. And that's why he has no problems taking orders from Dewey to kill Alpha and Bravo team to go rogue. But Smith is in on this too. He's got an earpiece. I didn't realize that until later on in the scene. Like they knew Bourne was going after Smith and they set this up with him. Yeah, they saw what files he was hacking. They were waiting for him there. And yeah, Smith is involved. I found that kind of interesting that Smith's like got a gun to him. Bourne's ready to shoot him. But Tommy Lee Jones is in the ear saying, don't you tell him, don't you tell him. And Bourne fires the gun. And again, shaky cam and a very close up shot. I'm like, did Bourne just shoot him in the leg or stomach to make him talk? We never see a wound. I guess he just shot past him. But man, that that was confusingly filmed. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like these things are bungled. The other thing I want to cite too is I don't think not speaking is helping Matt Damon's performance. I don't think he is one of our <laughs> great internalized actors. He is at his best when he's smiling, bright-eyed, connecting with somebody else on screen. Even The Martian, which is a movie where he had no one to play off of, he was not silent and mopey. He was telling jokes. He was playing to the camera, that is the Matt Damon we know and love. That is the Jason Bourne we want to see. We have never, ever seen Bourne smiling and Matt Damon-y. He's always been the stoic, anti-Matt Damon character. I said in our review of Ultimatum. I feel like he had a few scenes with Marie, yeah. Yeah, no, he definitely, two I will give you that there was a lot of not smiling, but in one and three, he definitely had interpersonal reactions that allowed him to show dimension. And here, by being so silent and sullen the whole time, I'm not with the guy. I don't care. I think I'm only with him because I've enjoyed enjoyed him in three other movies and I'm going with this whole thing. You're right. If this was the first one that I walked into, I may be like, yeah, where's this charismatic Joker that I've seen in so many other films? I will say this. I do feel for him when he falls. This is the one time I get a visceral reaction out of this movie is when he and Malcolm go over the, the asset shoots and they go splat on the ground outside. Yeah, it was kind of convenient. His foot got wrapped up in that wire to help break the fall, though. That shot was weird. They said that they don't use CGI for their stunts, and all of this is practical. But the asset shoots Smith, and Smith goes over. Damon jumps. He grabs this cable. I've only seen the movie once. It was in theaters. But something about that shot made me feel it was composited, or maybe they did a really poor job of CGIing out the harness, the safety harness, but something about him grabbing that wire just looked fake to me. And then, but when he hits, he hits hard. I mean, I'm like, that's a concussion. Yeah, that's, that's what I felt. They give you some reason to believe he's not going to be able to slip away as he always does. Although he does. He manages to get away and get to Heather. You're telling me once he finally gets to Heather, you don't think something's going to go down here? No, I don't. I never, ever shipped them. No. Hmm. 
I agree with you, Stuart. I thought, okay, this is the new Julia Stiles, who I'm never quite sure why she was on his side, maybe because she knew his file and knew what had been done to him, and that's the same with Heather here. But yeah, I felt like, okay, this may be a thing. I thought this was Pam Landy all over again. I guess that's why I never, ever... But Pam Landy was on Bourne's side, I felt. Yeah, but I never thought Bourne was going to sleep with Landy. Well, it was Joan Allen. And that's how I read this character, though, is in the Joan Allen role. I didn't care about her age i didn't care that she was hot she is cia after him i did not see that turning sexual i didn't even see it turning as friendly as it did that was a twist i didn't see coming but yeah she's the one who helps him escape and now she knows she's in dewey's sights and the two have to kind of become forced allies but no i never ever saw a romantic link so yeah the the warming up to him and trying to bring him in we're going to find out is it was all for her personal career. But I think many people, unlike you, Arnie, would suspect that she also has a soft spot for him, that she has read his files, that, you know, maybe he's still handsome. I don't know. He's bleeding and he's <laughs> 10 years older, but he's still Matt Damon. He's got like a black eye through the whole film. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that continuity that they gave him a shiner from that, but... I just don't see why she'd be into him. I mean, I think that's reductive of a female's role in a movie. But that is Hollywood's role of females yes. in spy movies. <laughs> How many spy movies have you seen where that's exactly why she falls in love? You're saying, oh, this movie is smarter than that. I wouldn't have suspected that, honestly. It's playing to lots of cliches. And I got to say, I'm excited because... We're going to Vegas. We're going back to the U.S. And, you know, we, I guess we spent some time in New York in a couple of those films. But Vegas, like, I'm hoping for a car chase here because what a great place to do it. Oh, uh, love Vegas. Only been once. But the way it's filmed here, the opening shots. On the Trump Tower? <laughs> I did laugh at the Trump Tower. Yeah, I'm like, oh, there's a little political ad there. But I love the way Greengrass filmed this, the strip, the... It had a weird hue, though. Like, they put an orange filter on it. The MGM Grand looked like navy blue or something. But Greengrass really did pretty shooting here, especially later on when it's at night. He uses the neon to full effect. I love this as a location for Bourne to go. It works out so much better than when Bond came here. Yeah, usually it's a bad thing when James Bond comes to America. I usually cite those as the movies not to see. But, you know, Jason Bourne is not James Bond. I think we can all agree at this point there's not really a, a good equivalency between the two characters. And I'm not really sure, again, if he just kills the asset, isn't he done? Is he really that involved in what happens with Deep Dream? We got the Exocon going on here. And I also think it's really strange that these two would debate each other on the same screen when they don't want connections between the two exposed. Like, I guess that's like hiding in plain sight. Like, they'll never suspect we work together if they see us always screaming at each other. Yeah, I do feel like Bourne, I don't know, maybe he wants us exposed because of his allegiance to Nikki. Did he have one? I mean, again, these relationships. Yeah, I, I look, I, I'll say this for the film, and maybe it's because of the way the score is being used. I do feel like it ratchets up that tension. Like, I found myself, like, feeling this tenseness and, like, wondering, oh, okay, how is this going to solve itself? Even though 
what the outcome is probably doesn't really matter in this film. But like when people are like going around the area hotel and you know, every, all the pieces are put into place. I'm like, okay, this is kind of exciting. I love Kalur in this. He walks in, he's a rock star. He stops to pose with like four hot women and creating a distraction and born steals some tech some spy tech that just happens to be there yeah thank god it's a tech conference so you can still gps trackers and cameras and all that canon cameras mind you canon don't don't forget the product placement here <laughs> riz ahmed is a, a charming character actor he was a big part of nightcrawler if you saw that movie he was yes. the cameraman and i uh, got a lot of hype i think it's probably why he got this again wouldn't you have rather just seen this movie wouldn't you have rather seen a movie about this guy dealing with the struggle? So long as there's a spy in there kicking someone's ass, yes. Well, it would be a thriller, but, you know, like just more just of a traditional thriller of what have I gotten myself into? I, I feel like a Hitchcock movie with this guy in this scenario is much more exciting than we got to shoehorn in this angry, silent, bleeding. This plot is so much better than Brian Cox stole $10 million. This plot is so much more clean, so much more straightforward. That Brian Cox thing was the one I felt was really poorly done. This is so much nicer. I kind of like this plot, but what does it have to do with Jason Bourne? That's the problem. Yes. What does Brian Cox's $10 million have to do with Jason Bourne? Because they're trying to frame Bourne for it. I'm not going back to talk about movies I've already praised. You can listen to that show and why I liked it. I'm just asking you, wouldn't you rather focus on this storyline? No, 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 I wouldn't. I want to see a Jason Bourne film. I want to see a Jason Bourne film. No, I almost wish this was just called Heather Lee and have it be about her because she's going to get caught up in this thing. She's the one that got born through customs and Dewey knows that now. Like now, before he was going to take the hit is he was like, shoot Kalor and then hit me too. And he kind of like looks at his left hand like, well, there goes that. But no, once he finds out Heather's in on it, he's like, no, shoot her instead. And she's also the one that got Kalor in with the CIA, I think, because it's mentioned she went to Stanford with him. So I think we can put two and two together here and assume that she, being a tech person said this is a guy that has a startup that you need to invest in yeah they do drop the line that the cia goes to this con regularly to recruit people yeah it seemed to me that she was too young to be there at the start of it but i guess he was too so maybe that is the case hey that's how the tech industry is they're all 12 years old yeah they don't even go to college but i am feeling a lot of suspense when the asset is getting up in that vent and born is trying to sneak in and Kalur is on stage. I really thought he was a pig at the slaughter. I really thought Kalur was going to die in this film. I never, never believed that he would because they need to have Jason Bourne be heroic. That would suck if Jason Bourne got there too late. You have to have him do something. He has to save somebody. Yeah, I was wondering what Kalor's plan was with these tapes because I thought he was just going to start playing those. But no, he's going to get up and do a confessional. That's exactly it. And I think that, again, I don't know that the asset would pull the trigger if he hadn't done that. But what they're trying to do is cover up the connection. That if Deep Dream becomes exposed as this fraudulent CIA outreach, no one will use it. And so it's lost to them. So they're just trying to protect their business by killing him. It seemed to me that Dewey was shocked when Kalur starts going off script, though. I really felt that Dewey was planning on killing him and upped it when... <laughs> 
he starts to reveal everything. Yeah, because Dewey hasn't gone on stage yet because they got the call that Bourne's in town. And so he's delayed himself from going on stage. And they've got the whole thing worked out where the acid is wearing gloves with fingerprints that will link it to a rogue Iraqi, you know, like the frame is in place. They've got it all set up, but no, Jason Bourne's going to bust in with the stolen badge, turn up a spotlight on the hitman's mark and... That will save Kalor from getting a kill shot. It, he he slightly misses because of that. And yeah, the tech guy will live for the sequel. And now comes the action-packed climax. And I thought it was really going to be Bourne versus the asset. But Bourne's tracking Dewey. He put a tracker in Lee's pocket that she put in Dewey's pocket. And so we're going to have to wait for the fight we really want. Although I think Bourne gets some kick-ass moves here. Most slot machines don't even have like the old, you know, they were, they used to be called one-armed bandits because of the lever there, but he snaps one off and uses it as a club. Which again, wasn't clear because of the way this was shot. Like an alarm goes off at a slot machine. I'm like, not sure why. I saw that one. What I didn't see, you know, Bourne is known for fighting with non-weapon stuff. When he was fighting Dassault, he comes up with like, it looks like a Ikea stick from their furniture stuff. I didn't know where he got that, but I did see this. Yeah, and I thought, you know, he's going after Dewey. He's got that tracker on him, and they have his their confrontation. And I guess the question always is, is Bourne really going to kill? Because that's kind of what he's fighting against. And he could have just walked in and shot Dewey, but he doesn't. He confronts him. I guess I don't really understand that. I don't know. If he didn't come back for revenge... What has this been about? He has always gone to confront and threaten, but he has never killed. So what does he want? So what does he want out of this? He wants to kill, but he is not innately a killer. And we don't want him to be an assassin. No, 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 no. So if I'm going in and to not kill this guy, how is this going to look? He's just going to say, sorry, and I'm going to go, okay, and turn around. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't really sure, except they show Heather get a gun, so I kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah, they solve it through contrivance, but again, if he wasn't really doing this for Bloodlust, why do it at all? Keep in mind, he also stole a security camera. I thought he was replaying what he did in part two when he confronted Brian Cox. Cox thinks he's going to kill him, but he's taping the confession, and before that can happen, this agent... Craig Jeffers, who's been around, and I honestly thought maybe he would never say a line, but he actually started speaking. He's going to come in and try to shoot Bourne and create this, like, Mexican standoff that only lasts for a few seconds, where Dewey puts a gun to the back of Bourne's head, and I figure... I know Bourne's not going to die, but I wonder how he's getting out of it. I didn't expect Lee to come in and shoot Dewey. Oh, come on. They made such a big deal of her putting that gun in the safe and then going back to her room. What surprised me, like, I was feeling some disappointment because I feel like this could almost be the end moment. Yeah, we got to still do something with that asset. He's scrambling to get out of there. He got caught. His face is on camera. There's so much security. I thought maybe he would just get arrested, and that's how they'd break this story about Iron Hand. But I, I feel like this is the moment they, like, you know, Heather and Bourne, they make their peace, and he's just going to go off. But no, we are actually going to get that chase, I, which I'm glad. I would have felt ripped off if I didn't get a chase in Las Vegas. You have a choice. They, she makes a big deal about it. he doesn't have to go after the asset. You have a choice. I don't understand. Why would he not go after the asset? Why would she want him not to? Because she wants him to come back into the program. And I, I think him going after the asset is 
furthering himself from going back there. It's furthering his independence. Funny, I never actually believed that she really wanted him to come back in, but okay. No, I think that bringing him back in would be a huge feather in her cap. It would help her get promoted. Yeah, she could say, I captured the guy that nobody could, but I never, yeah, he could take a moment to get the asset. That wouldn't be a big deal, but maybe she doesn't think he'll be able to win. Maybe she thinks he'll die. She hasn't seen the other Bourne movies. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to get a chase, which, look, the asset gets a SWAT vehicle. Damon gets a, a Dodge Charger. I don't know if there are commercials <laughs> using scenes from this movie. They make such a big deal. They're like, like there's a police scanner. He's in a black. I, I'm surprised they didn't say the year and like <laughs> what options this Charger had. Yeah, and they're all using Sprint phones, but... Hey, yeah. it's, it's handled better than in a lot of other movies we've seen. But yeah, the fact that I wrote in my notes, Dodge Charger. Yeah. But this chase is amazing. I mean, the SWAT... Is it? It it might be. I don't know what's going on in it, though. <laughs> this is the one action scene I could see, is this car chase where he's driving against traffic. That SWAT machine is driving through stopped cars and throwing them around. It reminded me of a scene from Transformers, the way like Megatron would go through cars like that but this was practical <laughs> you went to transformers I, I went to dark knight when he's or maybe batman begins when he's riding around in his batmobile doing that yeah true but this was this felt more exciting and the music the fact that the cars are flying by it's not even slowing this swat vehicle down born trying to catch up I got into this car chase it finally gave me the action I wanted out of a born film here's the thing Michael Bay, say whatever you want about him. I think that guy knows how to do action. And he does, yeah, he does this like pointillism thing where you just get like half second cuts of everything. And it's, it, it, it's almost this weird expressionist style. And I feel like Greengrass is almost in that same camp, except he just shakes the camera. It just blurs. It's a Van Gogh painting. And I want to go, wow, that's super cool when that SWAT team's driving through traffic. But he doesn't just let that camera show that. He's moving that camera around so much. I think this is a great chase. I don't really know, though, because of how it's shot. And for me, it's just I'm not invested in this movie at this point. It probably is great, but I totally checked out. I would rather be looking at my phone. I mean, when Bourne finally catches up to the asset, they're going to have a fight. Like, the asset whips out, I don't know, something to start choking Bourne with. I don't know where he got it. I don't know where it is. Like, I just, I don't know what's going on, and that's a problem. Like, I think this is a really good action scene, but I couldn't tell you for sure. I disagree. I This is the one action scene I felt was actually completely visible. I, I 100% agree with your argument in London, in Greece, everywhere else. I can't agree here. I like that they drove into the Riviera. I thought that was impressive. And and they really were there. I mean, it should be said, five weeks of filming in Vegas, 70 cars destroyed. I mean, they had to shoot between midnight and 6 a.m. each night. And I'm sure it was a lot of work to pull this off. I just can't get excited about something where a movie has left me flat. Yeah, I, I didn't know the Riviera closed. I didn't know that they were about to demolish it, but that's how they were able to do it is they just asked, hey, if you're tearing this building down anyway, can we crash a car into it first? Oh, so that was real. That wasn't like a, a soundstage or something. They actually crashed it into the Riviera. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. And the way it hit the slot machines, I did find it surprisingly lacking of people. <laughs> But well, I found that about the strip too. I'm like, man, they must is this con like in October when no one's in Vegas? Because that strip was pretty <laughs> empty. 
It's usually packed bumper to bumper. Yeah, well, they drove through all the bumper to bumpers. <laughs> yes, they cleared it out with the SWAT truck. And now we get to the hand to hand fight. I wasn't really sure that there would be one, you know? I mean, we took out Carl Urban in a car crash. It ended with the car chase. But no, we have to go hand to hand and. I don't quite realize where they go. Somehow they get away from everybody and are in like this wet, deserted alley that just happens to have a whole bunch of stuff you can make weapons out of, but I can't tell what the hell they're grabbing. Yeah, thank you, because it's bad camera work. I would blame editing also. Could we please have an insert shot of whatever the hell it is that the asset grabs to choke Bourne with and what Bourne grabs? Is it a pot? Are they in a homeless person's home? Where <laughs> are they getting this stuff? Can we blame this? screenwriter too because the editor is a co-screenwriter that greengrass basically wrote this with his editor there was no actual writer brought in for this project okay we can play yeah i'll throw the blame around i won't (laughs) blame just greengrass but yeah like i only know the asset dies because they have a really loud neck snapping sound effects thrown in like i didn't even know what born was doing to him at that point Uh, they were choking each other and i thought it was kind of inventive how the asset got this rope chain belt from a car i have no idea some black thing around born's neck and born grabs his calves and flips him over i thought born was going to escape but it's really a choke off who who dies first the asset is choking born born is choking the asset and born wins by snapping his neck I found this fight to be decent. I I do wish I could have told you more of what was going on, but it was a fitting climax to the film. You wanted the asset to die. He had been involved in so many contrived things. I do like this ending, though. Like, Heather's back in D.C. Is she going to be the new Dewey? Is that what she's going for? Because she seems awfully young. Yeah, that's what she wants. I don't think she wants to be the new Dewey. She's meeting with the deputy director there, played by Scott Shepard, who I'm like, I know I've seen this guy, and he's done a couple of things I've seen, but I think he's going to be the new director, and she wants to be the new deputy director. She wants his gig, and she's a ballsy woman. She's threatening him, like, well, if you don't want to give me that job, there are plenty of other agencies that would like what I know. I'm like, damn, you're lucky if this doesn't get you killed. Yeah, this is where you see the twist coming that before where I'm like, okay, for reasons, she's on Jason Bourne's side. But no, she's been playing everyone this whole time. And it comes out here. She says, I'll get him. And if I don't, then yeah, we could kill him. Yeah, she's ambitious. And we thought that because she was an attractive woman in a Bourne movie, she would also have some kind of attachment to him. But you thought. I never thought. I thought it too. I'll side with Stuart. (laughs) Yeah, I think most people would through the conventions of the spy genre. But no, the the scary twist here is that she is all ambition. She has no heart. Pam Landy. Pam Landy was a good character. I find Lee to be a good character. She's complex. She's defined. Okay, a good character in that an intriguing one, but certainly not one with good morals. Better than Dewey, though. Dewey was prime evil. Here, she is loyal to the CIA. She is what I would want a CIA operative to be. Cold and able to kill, but also moral and not... I don't know how moral she is. Yeah, she was pretty crafty. I gotta admit, if you're gonna give someone a bug... 
giving it to them in the star of the, that their fa- their dead father earned working at the CIA was a pretty good one. But <laughs> Damon is on to her. And I don't think we needed to know that he taped her to know that he knows. I think it comes across even in the scene saying, you know, I'll, I'll think about it is a way of saying, hell no. Yeah. No, but I, I thought that was a fun little reveal, just like, you know, the, the one with Joan Allen where she finds out he's in New York and he's spying on her. I don't know. I, I kind of like those stinger ends with these born films they're fun i like the setting because it was very deep throat right they were in that park in the washington dc area and i felt like it really was like a scene out of all the president's men or something yeah and i thought he would like push her into the pond you know it always ends with someone (laughs) in the pond and be like oh hell no push (laughs) but moby man has he milked this Wow, I couldn't believe they went with Moby because I, I associate that's when Bourne goes off with the girl, but uh, maybe that only happened in a couple of these films. Yeah, it didn't happen in two, and Moby's been in all of them. You talked about the remix in Bourne Legacy. Man, they really made this a dance song in this one. I was like, did they get Timbaland in there to put in the beats? <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. No one was dancing as they walked out of the theater. <laughs> but as we danced out of the theater, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend... Jason Bourne. Jacob. This is one I actually did struggle with. Like I said, I had to go back and listen to Bourne 3 or Bourne Ultimatum, but should be Supremacy, whatever we're calling it. Because I remember that one, it it just felt disappointing because of the end reveal. But that one, you know, okay, that one had some decent action scenes. And so did this, maybe. That that is my problem, is that shaky cam is so detrimental in this film. I found it annoying in Ultimatum. I found it detrimental to this film where I can't enjoy the action. I feel like that's why you watch a Bourne film is, you know, I don't remember all these names and CIA operatives. That stuff doesn't matter. It's about who's chasing Bourne and what is he going to do to get out of these chases? Like, I was talking to my sister, who, she actually loves the Bourne films. I didn't know this. She loves the Matt Damon Bourne films. Anyway, she doesn't like that legacy one, like most people. But she's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I just I just love having them on in the background when I'm, you know, doing whatever, and then you get a chase scene and you sit down and watch it and it's exciting. And I feel like, if that's the kind of Bourne fan you are, and, and I think a lot of the people in the theater were those kind of born fans they just wanted those exciting chase scenes because there's a lady behind me like whenever something was happening she's like "Ooh, ah ah like i'm like wow she either has really good glasses she she could perceive time slow or something because she's getting excited by by this action i conceptually got excited by the action for the most part and the story well i feel like it's a better mystery than that part three or you know where oh born you're here because you chose to be like okay does this any of this matter like Stuart has said I don't know but I feel like it mostly works as a born film I'm gonna give it I'll give it a weak recommend it's it's a film that's there and I think it will entertain those that want a Jason Bourne film I, as a standalone I don't know if, if you're an action film sure maybe but yeah a weak recommend Stuart to me this is a very pointless humorless, disappointing experience. We've been going for this whole series, enjoying everything that's been offered. I'm sorry I'm going to have to break the streak, but this is a red arrow. I think that this is the worst Damon-Greengrass collaboration ever, including Green Zone. I mean, I feel like, okay, Greengrass wanted to tackle issues, cyber privacy, economic unrest in Greece and all of that, but he was tasked with bringing back Jason Bourne and telling us more of a story that matters. And I don't feel like he cares about that. I don't feel like Damon brings that. I just don't think that Jason Bourne is an interesting character to follow. 
And that is really what differentiates him from James Bond, is we always like to see James Bond in a new adventure. Here, I want to see the adventure without Jason Bourne. And I also think the action is off. I also think that what Greengrass brought that was so revolutionary in supremacy is passe now. He's either gotten worse at it or the impact of it is greatly lessened. But I didn't care about any of these action scenes, including the Vegas car chase that they've been crowing about. I just feel like the best bits here are half-hearted repeats of everything they've done before. And honestly, the ones that come out looking like the winners are Jeremy Renner and Justin Lin because they were in Star Trek Beyond and Civil War. And those were the good movies of summer. I think this is one of the worst. Uh, maybe Independence Day was worse than this, but I think that this is the dog of summer. Oof. Wow, no, no. I've... Wow, resurgence level. I can't go with you there. Oh, God. No, no, I said Resurgence was worse, but I, I like Conjuring 2 better than this. After having a bad streak of summer movies, I was so happy to get a good one. I really was. I, I felt like the sourpuss here, you know, even a couple of movies you guys have recommended I couldn't go along with. But here, I was really engaged. I thought this was a nice, straightforward story. They didn't overcomplicate it like they did 2 and 3, where... I felt they just went too into the weeds with stuff that was just unnecessary and hard to understand. This whole deep dream stuff, really good. I like the action in it. I wish I could have seen some of it more. That is the only ding I'll give this movie is I wish I understood a little better what the hell was going on during action scenes, but I was stunned that they killed Nikki. I was engaged and in suspense during the car chase when... Born is getting T-boned by the SWAT van. I mean, man, I had a great time at this film. I did. I just walked out with a smile on my face, except for that Moby remix I didn't care for quite as much. But I thought this was a very solid entry. Born is back, and I'm glad about it. Recommend. Do you want him back, though? I mean, I, I'm thinking about this series. You know, we always rank this stuff. Stuart might. I read an interview with Greengrass, <laughs> and he said if they come back, both Lee and Kalur are going to be major parts of future stories. I'm up for another one, but I really feel like these guys need to challenge themselves more. This felt like a paycheck. Honestly, I felt like they were like coming back because we have to, and Hollywood doesn't let us make movies that we want to. So let's just get through this, and then we'll make something that we really want to do. I hope it's the next Born, but I would like to see more inspiration here. I would like to see more enthusiasm for what they've had and, and what's worked in, in the movies. Yeah, I feel like we've really gotten diminishing returns. I mean, one and two, I, I really feel like those should just be pushed together. But, you know, if I was going to rank them, I think I'd go with one just because that sets off the story. That's the most self-contained. And it's probably the one I've, it is the one I've seen the most. And then I would actually go with Legacy. I want to see Renner come back, maybe team him up with Bourne. Who, who knows what could happen there? But then, yeah, I, I would go two, three, and five, I guess, if we're getting technical. Uh, uh, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and Jason Bourne. Maybe Legacy gets ranked so high by me because it felt like they injected something new into this series. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. I have always felt that Supremacy was the best because it was the one that brought in the themes and then it brought in Greengrass to do his thing and it felt so fresh and real at the time and it had that great car chase in Russia. So for me, 2 was always the standout with Identity, a close follow-up. And then, yeah, I, I don't feel like any of the other ones really compete, but I would go with Legacy 
as the winner one had the most enthusiasm ultimatum had some good moments and then this one and of course i'll be kind as disappointed as i am with this one it's still better than richard chamberlain oh yeah i forgot about that didn't i yeah bottom (laughs) i'll agree with you both that tv movie was the pits but i kind of agree more with jacob in my ranking although a little bit of difference i think the first one was the best one it had the most intrigue the first matt damon one was the best one it had the most intrigue it had great action Damon did, you're right, Stuart, I'd forgotten, but he got to be a little bit of his charming self when out with Marie. So one is by far and away my favorite. But yeah, number two is Legacy. I thought it was fresh. I thought it was inventive. Sorry, Paul Greengrass, but my favorite two Bourne movies don't involve you. Number five is my third, though. I put it above the later two installments of the Bourne trilogy. I think they're all pretty much equal in my mind as far as the action goes. I know five is harder to see some of that action, but I liked this social media plot so much better than either of the ancillary plots of the Ultimatum or Supremacy. I'll put Ultimatum next. I enjoyed that film and its payoff and... While they're all recommends, so understand, I like all five of the Bourne films. The Bourne Supremacy is my least favorite because they really just muddied it up. You don't like that $10 million plot. I hate that $10 million (laughs) plot. It sullies the whole damn movie. But we can all agree that the low point was, we keep forgetting there's the other one, the worst one by far, the one that should be completely ignored and is at this point is the 88 TV miniseries. I I did wonder if they called Matt Damon's dad Richard Webb after Richard Chamberlain. I wonder if that was an inside thing. Oh, he is in a shot in Ultimatum. I didn't realize it, but it was pointed out that when you go through the files, there's a scene where they're looking at other agents. There is a a photo of a young Chamberlain in there. So they did did try to half acknowledge that there was this TV movie, that there was an origin for all of this stuff. But come on. But Reese don't acknowledge it. (laughs) No, no. I appreciate it only in that it helped me listen to Stuart's Books and Nachos reviews of the Ludlum trilogy because it is the most faithful adaptation. And watching it let me know exactly how big a deviation these Bourne movies are from what Ludlum had originally envisioned. And, you know, (laughs) might not have happened had Ludlum been alive when this all began. They just took his titles and took some of his concepts and ran a totally different direction with it, a direction I think we all prefer. Yeah, and I I think that I really do want to salute Gilroy here. I think the major problem I had with this movie, and even in the complaints that I had with Ultimatum, was that he wasn't involved. He was a screenwriter that had had worked with the original director in Identity, and he kept it going in Supremacy, and he was the one that made that legacy spinoff. I wish that they patch it up. That's the one thing I'd like to see for a Born Six is that they work it out with Tony Gilroy to have him come back and find more stories to tell. Because I feel like all of the later films are lacking in a really intriguing storyline for Bourne to uncover. And I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon, though. Because Damon did say in interviews, he will come back if and when Greengrass comes back. But Greengrass, it's years away, he said. And of course... Box office can influence a lot of things. And I did also learn that the reason 
they didn't do number four is Greengrass had major differences with the studio over the direction of the franchise. And so that may be part of the reason it took nine years is it took some turnover at the studio for Greengrass to get his way. But we may be another four years or more before Bourne is back or Maybe they'll call up Runner again, you know? He's basically the <laughs> drunk dial Hollaback girl. Or Hollaback born. Yeah, yeah. Again, a team up between the two of them would be fun. You got an odd couple aspect because Runner actually smiles and talks. And <laughs> you got the silent one with Damon. Yeah. Yeah. I hope whatever it is, is that Damon gets to engage more with other people. This man with no name, silent hunting thing. Clint Eastwood can pull that off. You, Matt Damon, not your forte. I liked all of the movies he was in with it, so go for the change. I like The Martian, too, only because of him. But I think he has range. But he didn't play it like The Martian. You understand what I'm saying, right? This no, I, I'm saying I like Damon when he's funny and cute, and I like him when he's hard and quiet. I'm saying I think Damon has range. But with that, we do bring our Bourne series to a close. Almost bringing the summer to the close, but we got one more film to go to the theaters for Oh my god, I'm so hyped. Can somebody restrain me? Yeah, hot off the heels of Batman v Superman, which everyone loved. Another DC movie. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to put this in perspective, but Snyder was barely involved in this one. This one is David Iyer and the trailers and everything. They're selling it to me as Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm as hyped as Guardians of the Galaxy. I I just walk in going, please don't suck. I know. You are you started buying Harley Quinn stuff. I've seen your posts. Yeah, and Joker. <laughs> you, you got Insane Clown Posse Joker stuff going now? I do. It's, oh my God. <laughs> and I like went paparazzi. I saw the cast at Comic-Con. I'll talk all about it next week. But, ooh, I'm excited. No, I am excited about it. Yeah, I want the best for this. It is the most exciting thing about the upcoming DC universe. When I look at all of this stuff and all the comic book movies we've already done, this feels novel. It feels intriguing. I've liked the visions that I've seen for remaking Joker and all of it. It seems like they have their own idea going on here, and I hope it, they pull it off. I'm anxious to see what we're going to get a week from today. Suicide Squad. Yeah, I got my tickets for two nights from now, the premiere IMAX 3D showing. I'm so, I'm so jazzed. So we'll be back with that next week, and then well, let's talk a little bit about what's coming after. Because things have been mixed up already. Yeah, things changed. Oh, thanks, Blair Witch. <laughs> Why don't you tell us? Why do you feel like surprising us about a movie is a good thing? I'm scared that there's more of that coming, but, uh, you know, we can handle one surprise, but if there's more surprise pop-up franchises... Yeah, now playing could get a whole lot more chaotic. Yeah, but we haven't told most listeners what's going on. If you've gone to the website, you've seen a few of the posts. But after Suicide Squad, we're going back to King with different seasons and two probably of his most acclaimed film adaptations ever. Shawshank Redemption on August 16th and Stand By Me on August 30th. Oh, not at pupil. <laughs> not at pupil. <laughs> 
But we're doing that in between on the 23rd. Right. Yeah. These are three kind of non-horror Stephen King. You know, normally he's associated with a certain genre, but these were novellas and shorter stories that got more to a dramatic, I would say, more classic author. He wanted something to prove with different seasons, and we'll see if filmmakers were able to, to prove him right. And then we'll get the Stephen King horror guy as well. We're going to get three creep show movies. So fun. You know, these aren't hard horror. These are horror comedies in the vein of EC Comics. Uh, I'll beg to differ. I saw that first creep show as a kid and it gave me phobias. I'll talk about it. Uh, Yeah, I'm just saying these days it's looking like more fun horror for at least the first two creep shows until we get to some of the darker horror closer to Halloween. If you like Tales from the Crypt, that's really what they're going for here with Creep Show. It's a similar vibe. And we're also going to be doing after Creep Show 3, which had no Stephen King involvement, a project that probably some people think is Creep Show 3 because Romero was involved and there's a Stephen King story adapted. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. I never thought we'd cover that. Even when we were doing King, I forgot a King story was in it. I saw that movie in theaters and I'm really looking forward to that chat. <laughs> I gotta say. Yeah, I remember it. I saw it in theaters as well. And then more Stephen King. You know, we've, we've lagged. We, we haven't covered him for quite some time. So we're playing catch up here. We will be getting to Christine. I know that's a big one for you, Arnie. I've never seen it. Well, the main character's named Army. And I went and when I saw John Carpenter at Wizard World, I had him sign my Blu-ray of Christine. And I asked him to sign it to Arnie. And he's like, oh, like the character. I didn't even put that together when I was in front of the man. But yeah, Christine, one of the few times we'll see an Arnie who isn't like mentally handicapped or a really horrible character. Arnie's are just put down in films. They're like Stuarts. Yeah, I was about (laughs) to say, try being a little rat or whatever. Try going to see what's eating Gilbert Grape in theaters. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah, and then we will finish up Stephen King for the year by covering two Pet Cemetery movies. I've only seen one of them. I have seen both. I'll just say one of them I love and one of them I love to rewatch. I'm really looking forward to it. Big fan of the Ramones song. I've listened to that a lot. Yeah, I know that one. And in between, there will be theatrical releases. It was brought up already in September. There is a new Blair Witch movie. And yes, we are going to theaters and we are covering it. It will be coming out in between Creepshow 2 and Creepshow 3. And then also towards Halloween, October 31st, we're going to be seeing 31, the new Rob Zombie movie. And Marvel's Doctor Strange, of course. Yeah, so all of that coming up in the next few months. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this show, please head to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. It helps iTunes put us as a suggested podcast so new listeners can find out about us. And if you put a few lines in there, so much the better. And also come to our forums. Let us know what you thought of this born film and how you rank the series. You can find links to iTunes. You can find links to our forums, Twitter, Facebook, all at nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until Suicide Squad, this is where it started for us. And this is where it ends. Do you remember now?
remember everything. I'm no longer Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Born Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Congratulations, soldier. Training is over. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new Born movie review leading up to this summer's new installment. You talk about this stuff like you read it in a book. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Jason Bourne movies with other listeners. Everyone signs in and out. This is a serious place, serious work. It's not just to come in whenever you like. You're right. You're right. We didn't sign in. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Send them in to follow. Tell them to keep their distance. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. You think that Jason Bourne was the whole story? Sorry, there's a lot more going on here. Treadstone was just the tip of the iceberg. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. That was a D-track team we sent in there. I don't know what that means. It means they're good at what they do. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. Now, two years we're scribbling in that notebook. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Read, David, read. Everything you can get your hands on. I thought maybe we could help each other. How's that? Support from listeners like you. Help keep now playing, operating. What's this? Well, it's not money I've got. It isn't much, but it's a start. I don't need it, you do. Anyway, I'm stuck with you now. I've got an investment in you. <laughs> You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I don't suppose it'll do me much good to cry for help, huh? Not much. You can also show your love of Now Playing by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. Get in the store. There's someone on your tail. Get in the store. Now Playing's Born Retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. I told you we'd clean this up. It will be clean. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Well, why don't you go upstairs and book a conference room? Maybe you can talk him to death. Now Playing is not affiliated with the makers or copyright holders of this film. The Jason Bourne films are the property of Universal Studios, and no infringement is intended. What is he doing? Is it a game? Is he warning us? Is it a threat? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Do you really expect me to believe that? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I can't believe it myself. How could I expect you to? The insanity is, it's the truth. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think that's a decision you can make. Jason Bourne is dead. You hear me? He drank two weeks ago. You're gonna go tell him that Jason Bourne is dead, you understand? Where are you gonna go? I swear to God, if I even feel somebody behind me, there is no measure to how fast and how hard I will bring this fight to your doorstep. I'm on my own side now. 
CIA director Robert Dewey, played by Tommy Lee Jones, is in charge of this newest black ops program, Iron Hand. Not Iron Fist, it's stupid in the notes. I'm like, did you just see the Marvel trailer? Is that what's going on? <laughs> oh, is that a Marvel thing? Yeah, that's the next Netflix one. Uh, yeah. It must have been where it was in my head. And Lee is played by Alicia Vikander. And Alicia and Lee is played by Alicia Vikander. I am really, really sorry, Heath. If you could find interviews with any of these people and figure out which one I'm saying. It's Vikander. Vikander? Okay. She just won the Oscar. She's famous. Oscar's so white, I don't watch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, she had a big year last year. I saw her in three movies. Okay, so it's Vikander? Yeah. And Bourne still wants revenge on the asset that killed his father, so in a massive Vegas street chase with the asset in a swan van... Swan van. Lee is now working with CIA Deputy Director, coercing him for a promotion and promising she can get Kalur on board with Iron Hand. Oh my god, I put Iron Fist in my... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He looks older, man. I I don't know if they did something to his face here. No, no. Or if this is just how Matt Damon looks now. Look, I saw that Great Wall trailer before this where Matt Damon's going to fight like dragons or something with the Chinese. What is that movie? (laughs) That's a different conversation, but what the F? We might have to team that one up with monster trucks. (laughs) Yeah, that is called Chinese appeasement. It's not made for us. born here. Matt Damon was born in 1970, so he's 45, but when they call up his files, he was born in 78, so he's only supposed to be in his mid to late 30s. Where did you get 70? That's Matt Damon's real birthday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they they always do that. But in the movie, they're trying to play him as eight years younger than that. Yeah, that's every actor in every movie. I mean, that's that's Hollywood. (laughs) You can't be over 40. It's illegal. Yeah, it didn't happen in 2, and Moby's been in all of them. You talked about the remix in Born Legacy. Man, they really made this a dance song in this one. I was like, did they get Timbaland in there to put in the beats? <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. Skrillex, Arnie, Skrillex. Timbaland is 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still listening to Ilea. <laughs> Lee and... Kalur are going to be major parts of future stories. Lee's dead. No. He moved out of the hospital. They had a shot of him alive. And you said Lee's dead. Lee is uh, Vikander. It's the woman. Kalur. Oh, 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 okay. I thought you were talking about... Okay, never, I was thinking Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, okay. never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see where that's confusing. Tommy Lee, Heather Lee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until Suicide Squad, what was my exact wording? Just say nothing. Just glower. <laughs> <laughs>